Father, we just want to say thank you for this day and for the opportunity to come and to worship. Lord, with giving the things that happened this week, it's it's just a reminder that time is not promised. And Lord, the fact that we're sitting here truly is a blessing. Father, we just ask that you would pour out your spirit on us this morning as believers or as a church. We just ask that you would reveal truth to us in a special way. God, we lift up the families of these teenagers. We pray for their their friends, their classmates. God, as, as this has happened before, we know that Many of them will be affected. Many of them will struggle in the coming days. God, it's hard. It is extremely difficult to contemplate eternity when it's not something that you haven't given a whole lot of thought to. And sometimes it just it smacks us in the face and reminds us that it comes for all of us. So God, we pray for these families. We pray for these kids. And Lord, as conversations are had and events take place, Lord, we just pray that you would help parents and teachers and family members to have conversations in love. And Lord, just communicating the fact that time is precious and life is precious and Lord, we have to be careful with it. We have to be careful with it because it does end, but also we have to be careful with it because it is so precious that it means something and every moment counts. God, I pray that as believers, you would help us to remember that daily, that in everything that we do, every moment, every second counts. We only have so much time to prove our love for you. And I pray, God, that we would make the most of every opportunity. Father, we pray for Pastor Dan as he's having surgery this week. God, we lift up Miss Ruth as she's continuing to struggle. We pray for Miss Marge as she's hurting and dealing with some physical issues. We pray for Lee Bradley this morning. Lord, just be with her. Lord, you know we have a lot of people who need you, and so we just ask that you would be with those situations. Father, in these moments, God, I pray that we would focus on you, that we would offer ourselves to you, and that, God, that this time together would be pleasing to you. 
We love you. We thank you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, this is our ninth week of our stewardship series. And after you spend so much time on something, like many things, it can get a little uh, monotonous and you, you lose focus and you lose track and things seem to be repetitive. And we're going to talk about all that here in a second. Um, but as we talk about the understanding that we're not owners of anything but we are managers with the responsibility of managing the assets of God according to His will and for His glory. And this is what we've been saying over and over and over again when it comes to stewardship. And as we finish up the series this week, I think it's very important that we understand that without stewardship, worship can't happen. I want to say that again. Without stewardship, worship cannot happen because... There is a need for us as individuals whenever we truly realize who God is and what He's deserving of and how great and powerful and and above us that He is and what He did for us so that we could be with Him. When that realization comes, then we understand that there is a need for us to give God all that we are. And so when we talk about stewardship, it's not just, you know, we focused on some things, some key things that we said, okay, if you can do these things in your life, these are things that people struggle with. Time, people, relationships, money, stuff, uh, talents, things that we like to use for ourselves and focus on us. If we can take some of these things we're so tempted on our, to use on ourselves and use them to glorify God, we can kind of get on a good path. But, but the main thing about stewardship that we have to understand this morning is that it's not just about setting aside certain portions or just meeting a quota, but it's about coming to this mindset where we realize that God is absolutely worthy of everything that we have. And because He is worthy of everything we have, we are consciously making these decisions every single day to make sure that we can worship God with whatever it is that comes in and out of our lives. Because the truth is, is that when we talk about, oh, we're going to worship, stand with us to worship together. Like, yes, this is a type of worship. But what happens at church on Sunday morning is just a small reflection of what should be going on in your life Monday through Saturday. This is not the, the most important part of worship for your life. We gather together as believers because we're called to strengthen and support one another, to hold one another accountable. That's why I'm really big on like promoting membership and not just letting people just attend and come and go as they please, that we really commit ourselves to one another because that's what Jesus meant for the church to be. But worship at church is the least important aspect of your worship to Christ because it's just a reflection of what you're doing Monday through Saturday. And as we talk about that, you need to understand that stewardship is going to set you up for the opportunity to worship. And if we're not stewarding, if we're not consciously taking the things that God is bringing into our lives and blessing us with and and constantly asking this question, okay, God, how can I worship you? How can I use 
my talents to glorify you? How can I use my relationships? How can I use my stuff? How can I use my time? How can I use money? Whatever it may be, how can I use this to worship you? When the time comes for you to make the decision, chances are you're not going to be prepared and you're going to make the wrong decision. How many times in your life have you been going about your daily business, get smacked right in the face with something that you weren't expecting to come, and you weren't prepared to deal with it, you didn't say the right thing, you didn't do the right thing, and how many times in your own spiritual life have you said, God, I'm not going to do this anymore, I'm giving this up, God, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to start doing this, and then when the time comes, you're halfway through the day and you realize you've already done what you said you weren't going to do or not done what you said you were going to do. We've all been there. Because the truth is, as life happens and we're living, as situations and circumstances present themselves, we don't always know that they're coming. But we have to be prepared and have the mindset that we're constantly making sure that in our lives we are prepared to the best of our ability with the help of Christ that we are going to worship and serve God in everything that we do, every decision we make, every word that we speak, everything that we have. And that's what stewardship is. It's the idea of going ahead and making sure that you are set aside. Your time, your relationships, your talents, whatever is set aside so that you can make sure that you are glorifying God in your life with those things. But you have to make the decision beforehand because when the time presents itself, you have to be prepared to do it. How many times have you walked away from somebody and said, I should have shared the gospel with them? I've done it. You said, I should have helped them in some way and it didn't dawn on you until after you were gone. Most of the time as believers, we're just not prepared. We're not ready. We have not set aside ourselves and our stuff. <clears throat> and the sad thing is, is the American Christianity has really groomed us. And when I say American Christianity, whatever denomination, whatever church, it's all very similar. It's groomed us to think that if we say a prayer, we put on our Sunday clothes, we go to church, say the blessing on Sunday dinner, and if we're halfway decent people throughout the rest of the week, then that's all it takes to go to heaven. And the sad part is, is that's just not true. It's like there are some things that I just mentioned that are good if you do them. Those are good things. But that's not what it takes to get to heaven. Eternal life is a reward for those who have devoted the entirety of their existence to their heavenly Father. And you're sitting here this morning, and I know this because I have sat in the pew and I have like been in this same mindset where I know that I wanted eternal life. And I know I didn't want to go to hell, but I wasn't ready to surrender and I wasn't ready to give up certain things. But at the same time, I didn't want to go to heaven. So therefore, I said the prayer and I did the right thing. And I, you know, it's like you, you do what you begin to see because you want it. And at the same time, as you begin to do all those things, there's no change in who you are. There's no change in your heart. There's no change in your mind. And as you do this, all these things become, it's a job. 
It's like you look at a lot of people who profess to be Christians, and Christianity is a job. It's work. Because you don't enjoy doing it, you do it because you think it's the right thing to do, and you've been taught that it's the right thing to do. And the sad part about it is there's a lot of people who think they're going to get eternal life because they're working the job of being a Christian. And the truth is, is you don't get eternal life for working the job of being a Christian. You get eternal life whenever you're being a Christian, and that is pure joy, and you get joy from it. And there's a big difference between the two. And we'll talk about how you get to the difference in a second. But Jesus was never interested in people who did repetitive legalism, and God was not either. The calling on believers has always been for our lives to be a constant act of worship. As a believer in Jesus Christ, your life must be a constant act of worship. It cannot be a thing of routine. It has to be constant, and there's a difference between the two. You can't just do stuff and say, well, I've done these things, so therefore I am. But who you are, your entire being becomes a constant act of worship. And if it becomes a constant act of worship, if you get to that point where everything that you are is worshiping Christ, then stewardship is an easy thing to do, and you do it with joy. But if it's not who you are, and if it's not everything that you do, stewardship's going to be a job. So you're sitting in here today, and we did nine weeks of this, and you might practice, like try to put into practice some of these, these things we've talked about for the past nine weeks, and most of you will be miserable doing them because it's going to be a job, because you do it because you've been told to do it rather than doing it because God has led you to do it and makes you realize, like, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do because there's a big difference between the two. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Our focus passage this morning is one verse. Short and simple. Let's read it. And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by wrote. Now I want you to think about this this morning. Every single one of us in here, most of us, would say like, yeah, I, I, I love God. I want to serve Him. I want to worship Him. I want eternal life. And you're here, so you've made like the conscious effort to probably do something that most of us didn't want to do. This morning, I didn't want to get out of bed this morning. All right, so like I have joy in the Lord. I didn't want to get out of bed this morning. So we all do things that we don't necessarily want to do in order to to love God and to serve Him and to worship Him. But the truth is, is that we can say all the right things, we can do all the right things, and yet our hearts not belong to God. And He knows it. The sad part is, is a lot of times we don't know it. We don't realize it. And that's where we go back to this whole thing of, I'm doing all the right things. I'm saying all the right things. I go to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm doing all these things. And yet I hate it. It's a job. I don't enjoy doing this. And you get so frustrated because you talk to someone or you hear someone who says, I just love reading my Bible. I love doing this. I love every time I read it, God reveals something new to me. I love prayer. It's amazing to see how God answers prayer. I love going to church. And you're sitting back and you're saying, why do I hate it so much? Because I've been there. 
Because it's something that we have to, to make this, this change between doing stuff just because we've been taught it's the right thing to do versus doing stuff because God has changed us and transformed us and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt in our own heart that this is what God wants. And because we love Him and He's transformed our hearts and lives, we want that. And then it becomes a joy to do it. And there's a big difference between two. When you look at this writing right here in Isaiah 29, 13, God is sending this message to the people of Israel because this is exactly where they are. They say they love God. They do all the right things. And you can go back and you research scripture. They dress their certain ways. They look good. They had their tassels. They didn't cut their sideburns. They did all the stuff they were supposed to do. Celebrated all the holidays. <coughs> did all that stuff. And yet, God said their hearts were far from me. So this morning, I think it's really important that we, we are just honest with ourselves as to where's my heart? What does my heart belong to? When I say our heart, I want to include your mind in this. Because what's inside your mind, what you think and what you desire and what's in your heart for who you are, that determines what you truly belong to. Your thoughts will reveal who you belong to. And when you, you talk about this, God knows who you belong to. God knows your heart. There's nothing, you're not pulling the wool over his eyes. He knows who you belong to. The truth is, is God really needs you to realize who you belong to. And it's just as important this morning for you to realize that if you really do belong to God, it's more important for you to realize that you do belong to him than it is. Then it's just as important as you to realize that you don't belong to him. You with me? Because when you realize who you belong to, it changes everything. And if you realize you belong to God, it's going to change everything. It's going to make your relationship with Him so much better, so much more free. And if you realize you don't belong to God, then it gives you the opportunity to fix it or call on His name to fix it. I'm not a scholar, not very good with words and vocabulary and things like that. So as I was reading this, <clears throat> I noticed that last word, wrote. Don't know how many of you knew what it was? I didn't, so I Googled it, all right? Um, Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines rote as, the first definition, the use of memory usually with little intelligence. All right? So you can memorize stuff, and you don't have to be super intelligent to memorize things. <coughs> but you, you, can, you can do that. You can memorize stuff. I remember going into school, and I was smart enough on Fridays when we had our spelling test. I remember spelling test. Going to school on Friday... Looking at my spelling test about five minutes before class started, memorizing the 10 to 20 words we had to do, made an A on my spelling test, and then if you ask me to spell those words a day, I can't spell at all. I cannot spell. If I had to write words up on the board, you'd all have a really good time with this. Uh, it's really sad. But we can memorize stuff without being super intelligent with a little effort. The second definition is mechanical or unthinking routine or repetition. And that's the one that the author is talking about. This whole idea of doing things in a mechanical or unthinking routine or repetition. You with me today? And as the author, as Isaiah is communicating this message from the Lord, <clears throat> he says, the worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by unthinking, unintelligent repetition. And if you look at the American church, the American church, and whatever denomination you want to go to, whatever church you want to go to, 
is full of people who do things over and over and over again with unthinking or unintelligent mechanical repetition, and that's the most dangerous place we can be. Point number one, it's not what you say or do. We've been told by most people our whole lives, if you've been in the church, that if you say the right prayer, you do the right thing, then you're saved and that's what worship is. And that's a half-truth at best. Because when you look at the passage we just read, God sees right through people's eyes. He sees right through their actions. And as we said a while ago, God knows your heart. He knows who you belong to. You may not realize it. There are people, you might be sitting here this morning, and you're, you might be like feeling guilt in your life, and you may not feel like you belong to God, and Satan is using that guilt to discourage you, and you may very much belong to God. You with me? And on the same hand, there might be some of you here this morning who are very confident that you belong to God, and you've done all the right things, and you've done everything that someone's told you to, and in reality, your heart does not truly belong to God. You've just been told that you do because you've done all the right things, but there's never been a true transformation or rebirth in your life. And so the understanding that we could all be sitting here this morning and that we could all be misunderstood in our spiritual relationship with Christ and just not having a true estimate of where we are and where we stand is very real. And you've probably met people in your lives who say all the right things and do all the right things, and they just have the ability to just say the right things and do the right things and they get promoted and they get all this stuff. And like you're sitting here watching them, it's like you just know like that person is not a genuine person. You know somebody like that? I know people like that. It happens in the spiritual realms as well. There are people who have the ability to say all the right things and do all the right things. And they look good and other people perceive them as being good. But you know that they're not who they say they are. There's a lot of believers like that. In the past couple of years, God has continually brought me back to Genesis 22, where he calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. You've heard me talk about it a lot. I don't know why. God just keeps bringing me back to this passage. And just the understanding of what it would be like if your father tied you up placed you on an altar, was about to stab you with a knife, and then was going to set you on fire. And like it happened up till the point where Abraham raised the knife and was about to do it, and then the angel of the Lord stopped him. I don't know about y'all, but my relationship with daddy would never be the same again. It is, it's a very ironic passage, but it's very heart-wrenching because if you actually look at everything that was going on in leading up to this, There's so much wisdom and understanding that we can gain from this passage. Because number one, like you think about what God called Abraham to give. I mean, mean, this this was Isaac. Okay, this was his son in his old age. This was his son from his wife that he loved so much who was no longer even able to have children. Like Isaac is miraculous. Like he was a miracle from God to even be born. And, and Abraham 
was so, so caught up in this whole aspect of he wanted God's promises to be fulfilled and he did everything that God ever asked him to do. And if you look back at Genesis 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verses 2 through 3, look at Abraham's attitude in this as he replies to the Lord because God is continuing to affirm his promises to him. And Abraham says, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Abraham had reached the point in his walk with God where he said, I love you. I've done everything you asked me to do. And none of this means anything to me anymore. I don't care about all these promises that you're offering me anymore because I don't even have a son for me to leave these things to. I'm a hundred and something years old. The twinkle in my eye is gone. My life is getting ready to be over. And there's nothing that you have given me that I can do anything with because now, he says, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Abraham had reached this point in his life where it was just like following God was almost meaningless at this point because he had nobody to leave that to who truly meant something to him. And so God has finally fulfilled his promise of Isaac by the time we reach chapter 22. And then God calls him to give Isaac. I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to bring him to me. The most important thing in your life, the thing that all the other stuff meant nothing for until you gave me this son, which brought meaning to everything. Now I want you to bring that son and give him to me. But don't forget that Abraham also had another son named Ishmael. Who was born from their slave. It's an interesting story. If you don't know it, you should go read it. It's quite the conundrum. Ishmael and his mother had kind of become a thorn in their flesh. They were causing problems. God eventually gave Abraham the blessing to send them away just right before this happens. And I want you to think about that this morning that as God is continuing to call Abraham, and now think about that. God called Abraham back in Genesis 12. In chapter 22, God is still calling Abraham to be faithful. He's still calling him to follow. He's still calling Abraham to submit. Our walk with God is not a one-time commitment. It's a daily commitment. It's a daily exercise that we have to continually make the choice. Am I going to do this? Am I going to be obedient? Am I going to do what God's called me to do? Because when it comes to chapter 22... God's not calling him to sacrifice Ishmael, the one that was kind of become a problem and that they've sent away, because that would have been not, it's still weird, it still would have been difficult, but Isaac is the reason why everything has meaning now. Why all the promises of God have meaning. And God says, I want you to give him to me. And we've said it before and I'll say it again. It wasn't as important it actually was no importance at all for God to see whether or not Abraham would do it because God knew Abraham's heart. You with me? God needed Abraham to know who Abraham truly belonged to. When we talk about stewardship, and when we talk about setting aside things and giving to the Lord and being good stewards with what God is giving us, it's not a matter of us 
<clears throat> doing these specific things or meeting the status quo or barely doing stuff. God wants to know that you're devoted to Him constantly through everything. And He needs you to know it more than anybody. He needs you to know where you stand. He needs you to know where your devotion lies. Because where your devotion lies is going to determine every decision that you make, every word that comes out of your mouth. It's going to determine whether or not praying and reading Scripture and doing all those things is, means anything at all to you. Whether or not it's a joy or whether or not it's a job. Where your heart lies, that's going to be the determining factor. And God doesn't want you to just meet the status quo. Don't forget, Abraham was the one who instituted the tithe. He started it. He's the first one that gave the 10% to Melchizedek. Abraham started all that, and God was still saying, Hey, I want you to be one to give all. Stewardship is the understanding that at any given moment, any given time, that we are ready to give all to God, not because someone told us to do it, but because we have realized with our own hearts and minds, God has done a work in us to make us realize that He is absolutely worth it. And so therefore we are prepared to give, that we set aside portions of everything in our life beforehand in order to be ready to give it to God at any given moment in time. That's stewardship. Point number two, beware of routines. It is our nature as people to fall into routines, and routines make life a lot easier. Anybody ever have a routine? How many of you got morning routine? Morning routines are the best way to get out the door as quickly and effectively as possible. If you look at the history of the church, <clears throat> there's a lot of routines that happen in church. Now, I don't say this to pick on anybody in particular, because I'll pick on the Wesleyans here in a second too. But think about the Catholic Church. It's, 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 old, it's the oldest. All right? The Catholic Church is a faith that is very routine-oriented. There's a lot of like things that you just do. Like they, they, I went to a Catholic service here a while back, a Catholic funeral. <coughs> I had absolutely no idea what was going on. Everybody else there did. They knew exactly what was going on. Very routine oriented, and that's okay, because the Wesleyans come from the Methodist denomination, which we separated a long time ago for other things. But the Methodist Church, founded by John Wesley, think about their name, Methodist. The whole idea was that if people live in such a way with certain methods that it would change their life and they would get oriented to doing godly things and living a godly life and that would help them become Christians. Wesleyan Church, same way, all churches. E even our church today, you walk in on any given Sunday and you sit down, you kind of know what's coming, okay? We don't like do anything fancy. We don't pull out any stops. Every once in a while, we'll have a baptismal service or something like that where it's a little different or communion. But for the most part, it's about the same order every week. That makes it very easy for us as a staff to plan and prepare to make sure that we don't screw it up and we're not looking at each other like fish out of water and, you know, we're just not messing things up. Routines are very tempting. And in a worldly setting, routines can be very productive, right? But while routines can be productive in a worldly setting, routines can be very painful. 
and monotonous and disruptive in a relational and spiritual setting. All right? <clears throat> now, couples greatly struggle with routines. Like one of the things you talk about with a lot of married couples as they're struggling in their relationship is <clears throat> they get stuck in these routines and then things become boring and you just know what's coming and sometimes you just get sickened of doing the same thing over and over and over again. But we don't call those routine, do we? How many of you say, oh yeah, we're just, we're just in our routine. What do you call it? A rut. There's not much of a difference between a routine and a rut. You know how ruts get formed? Because people routinely drive in the same path making a rut in the road, and that was the whole idea, like you get stuck in the rut, and then once you're in the rut, you can't get out of it because you're so deep, you, can't, you literally can't get out of it. But routines and ruts are kind of the same thing. And so on, on some levels, routines can be very beneficial. Is it beneficial for you to read your Bible every day? Yes. Is it beneficial for you to pray every day? Is it beneficial for you to go to church when you, as much as you can? Yes, it is. But when you do all those things just to do them because someone told you you should do them, how painful are they? When you're doing something just because someone told you you should do it or you think, well, this is the right thing, so we do it. If your kids look at you and say, why do we do this? And say, because it's the right thing to do. If that's the best answer you can give them, you're not in a routine, you're in a rut. And you don't know how you got there, and you don't know how to get out, and you have no idea what to do. You're just doing it because someone told you to. This is what Isaiah was talking about as he's relaying this message from the Lord. These people learned this thoughtlessly, unintelligently. They were taught this through mechanical repetition because even though things that are beneficial can become routine, can become a rut and become destructive and painful and monotonous, and we grow to the point where we despise them. And you need to understand that this morning. That in your life, if your heart does not belong to God, and you're just trying to do all the right things because you've been told these are all the right things, it's going to be painful, and you're going to get sick of it. Eventually, you're not going to do it anymore because you don't have the strength to do it. You don't have the strength to be holy. You don't have the ability to be righteous. You don't have... The, the capability of being what God has called you to be. And that's why so many people get so frustrated when they look at someone else who loves going to church every time they can. Some of you are just like, going to church is so hard, it's just so inconvenient, I just wish I could do this. And Henry Cash goes to church like eight times a week. To every revival that every other church is putting on around the area, he's there. And you wonder, it's like, why does he find so much joy in going to doing that and you hate coming to church one time a week? It hadn't happened. Think about a marriage. I was talking to a young couple yesterday morning. <clears throat> it was really funny. They've been married less than a year. We were asking them what they were going to do yesterday afternoon. And the husband said, I'm, I'm going to go hunting. And so I looked at the wife and I said, you going to go with him? She said, no, nah, I'm going to find something else to do. 
which is really funny because a few months ago before they got married, or last year when they got married, she went with him hunting very frequently. And it's really funny how you think about it, even from a marriage perspective, and some of you men, like, we need to know this because men are more creatures of routine than even women are in a lot of ways. But the understanding of we need to have a relationship that is so connected that we don't classify it as a routine thing. It has to be more valuable than, than something that we don't put thought into. There are times in your relationship, you with me? This is good marital advice, this is good spiritual advice. There are times in your relationship where the routine is beneficial and you need that in order to survive through certain seasons. And it's good. But you should never declassify your relationship to something as unimportant as doing it thoughtlessly or mechanically to ever make the other person in that relationship feel that they're unimportant. And women, that's for you too, if maybe you're the routine one of the family. But for a spiritual aspect, routines are good. There are certain seasons in your life where the routine will save your spiritual life. Like reading the scriptures, praying every day, going to church, being surrounded by other believers who can support you and hold you accountable. And all those things that we talk about that are good, yes, those are good things. And the routine can save you at certain seasons of your life. But your relationship with God should be so important to you that you never allow the routines to become the ruts and you never allow yourself to not be willing to try and do new things and and seek God and allow God to lead you into new things and the truth is that a lot of us have just we've just thought like okay this is what Christianity is so we're just going to pull our wagon in the rut and we're just going to ride it and see where it goes And that's the worst thing that we can do because after a while, you're just like, this is the worst thing ever. And it just stinks to just like follow this path because this isn't really where I wanted to go. And the reason why is because God hasn't changed your heart, hasn't changed your mind. And that has to take place for true worship to happen. So point number three, stewardship brings about proper worship. And I believe this with my whole heart. Worship cannot happen without stewardship. Like You can't tell me that you, you realize what Christ has done for you by shedding his blood and dying on the cross. <clears throat> you cannot have realized that. And you cannot love God so much that you don't feel the need to give yourself to him. And when I say give yourself, I mean like completely surrender and and give yourself away for the cause of Christ. And that that can translate and the roots of that can spread out in so many different ways. But just understanding that if you are not surrendered to Christ, you're not going to be a steward. And if you are stewarding and you haven't surrendered to Christ, then it's painful. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're just like, man, I want to go to heaven. I want to love Jesus. I want to do all these things. I want that. But 
so much of what you said is painful. Like just the thought of stewarding, like giving my time, giving talents, giving people, even money, whatever it is, just doing all that is so painful and I just don't enjoy it. Like there needs to be a transformation take place in our life. And so stewardship is not necessarily what gives you the ability to worship. It's just a great indication as to whether or not you're truly worshiping. Because if you truly worship Christ, if you truly want Him, you are going to set aside your life as a whole, which will translate into the other things in order to be ready to give them to Christ at any given moment in time. How can we ever say that we want to come before a holy, perfect, all-powerful God and Savior and not have anything to give Him? Not have any kind of gift. How many women, how many people in here, how many men in here like love the woman in your life enough to like give them something? At some point in time, you've at least given them something. Maybe they don't give you gifts anymore, but they've given you something somewhere. Women, same thing. Like you give to people that you love. And giving to God is not something that gives you the right to come and worship Him. Giving to God is just a reflection of you realize who He is and what He's worthy of. What He's done in your heart and life gives you the right to come and to worship Him. So this morning as we close out, don't think about what to do. Don't think about what to say. Because worship is not about etiquette. Worship is not about knowing what to do, what to say, how to dress, doing all these right things. That's not true worship. You know, you look at Scripture, and you look at the people that God called to follow Him. You think about Moses. Most of what we read in Scripture hinges off of what God did in and through Moses. Moses was a murderer who lived out in the desert watching animals watching his father-in-law's animals. And God called him, and everything that we read in Scripture from the book of Exodus on deals directly with what God did in and through Moses. The twelve disciples were simple, ordinary men, uneducated. And God used them to change eternity, to change the world. And so this morning, it's not about. I want us to understand it's not about What we say, it's not about what we do, it's not about how we dress or how we act or anything like that. It's simply about what God has done in your heart. It's the transformation of God literally changing who you are, changing you as an individual. And Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and he told them in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. You need to understand this morning that if you try to follow Christ because of someone told you you should, you're going to fail. And if you try to follow Christ because you set your mind to it, you're going to fail. And if you do it because you're just following in the footsteps behind someone else who who were a godly example or something like that, you're going to fail. Because we don't have the strength or the capacity or the knowledge to even know who God is, to understand what He wants from us at any given moment in time. 
And the American church has dumbed Christianity down to this whole idea of if you say this certain prayer and you say these certain things and you look this certain way and you do this certain stuff, then that's what makes you a Christian. And that's not true. Because the truth is, eternal life is a reward for those who completely give themselves to Christ. We have to be completely surrendered in our life to Christ. To be willing to give all. We talk about stewardship. You know, stewardships, so many people fall into this trap of giving a portion. Like, no, Christianity does not call us to give a portion. Jesus calls us to give all. We give all of ourselves to Him. And because we have made up our mind to give all of ourselves to Him, then we're ready at any given moment in time to give whatever it is He's called us to give because we've already given ourselves to Him. Because the change happened here. And it's not because someone else told us to do it. It's because God revealed it to us in our hearts and in our minds. If you're sitting here this morning, you're just like, man... <clears throat> that hadn't happened to me yet. Like, I, I want it. I want what you're talking about. I want it. My challenge to you today is, is you begin to pray. And you begin to ask God, God, transform me, change me. Nick, Jesus told Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you've been reborn. Unless you become a new creation in God, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Our cry should be, God, change me, transform me, help me to be reborn into who you've called me to be. And you can't just quit off of one prayer because it doesn't happen, but you go to Christ and you cry out and you pray again and again and again. You say, God, transform me, change the way I think, transform me. This is not fun yet. This is not joyful yet. This is not something that, that I feel like I know this yet, but I'm doing all these things because... They, this is what's been told to me that this is the right way. I'm seeking you with everything I have, but God, you have to transform me. Because until you get transformed, it's always going to be a job. And no matter how much you love your job, there's going to come a day when you get ready to quit or retire. And if Christianity is nothing but a job or a burden to you, if scripture and prayer and church and fellowshipping with other believers and, and, and giving of your time and your talents and your relationships and your money, if all those things just sound like a burden to you, you need to cry out to God to transform you. Because there's a reason why other people do it and they do it with joy. And you need to find what it is that they have. And the only answer is, it's God. Only He can do that. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word, for your grace, your love, your mercy. But Father, I pray this morning that you would speak into our lives. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room, anyone who's watching online, anyone who's going to listen to the podcast later on, <coughs> Jesus, I pray that you would Help us to cry out to you. And Lord, to not get frustrated and give up if you don't answer it right away. 
But Lord, help us to keep coming back to you because you are the answer. You are the reason. You are the source of power that, it, that we need in order to do these things. And God, we can't do them apart from you. So Jesus, help us to cry out to you. Help us to continue to cry out to you. And Lord, I pray that you would be the God that you are and that you would come and work and move and do a mighty miracle in our hearts and our lives. Transform us, help us to be reborn through the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we love you today and we thank you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.